Kia ora, and welcome to my daily podcast. This is The Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey, and today I wanted to have a look at what's happening with food poverty and housing stress in New Zealand. This is a podcast I do um, where I look at three main things, uh, housing unaffordability, both rental and to buy, uh, climate change inaction, and child poverty. And I wanted to focus on a range of reports that have come out in the last couple of days showing that we are heading into winter with an incredible amount of stress on those people at lower incomes, particularly those who are paying rent and having to buy food and fuel. Now, we obviously have very high inflation right now for rents, fuel and food, uh, in part because of high commodity prices globally, uh, because of rising inflation with COVID. And of course, as uh, house prices have risen sharply and there's an increase in rents, there hasn't been the same increase in either wages or in benefits, particularly for those people on lower incomes who are sort of on the edge of uh, on a benefit or essentially working poor. And uh, this has cropped up because in the last few days, National has obviously launched a cost of living uh, um, campaign. They're arguing that the government is not doing enough to um, help people with higher cost of living because, um, they argue, the, the way to solve this is to adjust the tax thresholds for inflation. Uh, this was the um, announcement on the weekend, one of the... Uh, six quote, tax grabs that Labour has brought in since 2017 that National would reverse. Now, I spoke uh, a few days ago about um, the uh, problems with the fiscal estimates uh, from Christopher Luxon's uh, announcement, but I wanted to have a look now at just how stressed uh, these people who are on lower incomes renting particularly those people with families um, and young children, are at the moment. And also the denial of the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern in Parliament a couple of times this week, that we did have a cost of living crisis. She has pointed to various measures that are due to kick in. On April the 1st, there is going to be a benefit increase. And she has pointed again to the um, recurrence of the winter energy payment you might recall in the first year, 2020, of COVID, that winter energy payment was doubled. That uh, wasn't doubled last year, and there's no suggestion it's being doubled again this year. Uh, I actually think it should be again, uh, but um, bear with me as I go through the various reports I've seen in the last couple of days of what's actually happening on the ground. In the email today, I've uh, cited um, a very useful a couple of News Hub articles from Ireland, Hendry Tennant, in which um, she reports on what uh, people who are, for the first time, having to apply to food banks for food parcels, people who are essentially working poor, including quotes from a a middle manager for a retail firm who has a couple of kids and is renting and literally can't afford food and is having to uh, apply to food banks for food, um, in which uh, this guy is quoted as saying, five years ago I considered myself middle class. When people are in free fall out of the middle class, that is exactly when 
the proverbial hits the fan. Also, Bay Financial Mentors General Manager Shirley McComb is quoted in the article as saying that there is a food crisis, food poverty crisis, and a rental crisis, which means that uh, people who would normally not be in stress are now in increasing stress, in part because their incomes haven't kept up with inflation and they're right on the edge, but also the um, housing shortage and the uh, rise in rents has squeezed people from all directions. The article also quotes um, the supervisor at a food bank called 0800 Hungry Warehouse, uh, Nikki Benzeman, uh, as saying that there is a cost of living crisis and that the Prime Minister was out of step with what was going on uh, on the ground when she said that there wasn't a cost of living crisis. She's quoted as saying, it's not even just working poor, you're finding the pensioners really struggling, they shouldn't be in this position, you're finding people that were in their own homes and they're now in emergency accommodation. She's quoted as saying, there is something going on out there in society and a lot of people are struggling. Uh, which is what we're seeing in various reports. There's also one out from the Herald today about Kainga Ora's uh, rental arrears. These are people who are living in Kainga Ora uh, um, uh, social housing and are behind with their rent payments. The total arrears has risen from under a million four years ago, and it's now at nine million. And the report says that 12% of Kainga Ora tenants are now behind on their rent. Uh, which Nicola Willis, the National Housing Spokesperson, says is a reflection of the cost of living crisis. She's also cited the um, policy of Kainga Ora since 2017 to not evict uh, people. And um, she says that's one of the reasons. You've also got numbers out recently from MSD showing the number of people on the housing register. So they're essentially homeless and applying for a uh, a social house is now over 31,000 people on the uh, housing register. That's more than triple what it was four years ago. We now have 10,000 people living in motels, boarding houses and campgrounds and emergency housing paid for uh, by the government. And of those 10,000 people, two-thirds are coming from Māori and Pacific Island backgrounds so obviously much higher than the proportion of the population. And when you look at the amounts that are now being paid out in special um, emergency housing grants, it's upwards of $40 million a month. And there are now upwards of 10,000 people, 4,700 households uh, in emergency housing, including more than 5,000 children. So obviously we have a housing shortage and a housing affordability crisis. The other sto- couple of stories that I wanted to uh, point you to today, um, one comes from Anusha Bradley uh, in the Hawke's Bay for Radio New Zealand, in which she talks to a young mum with six children and a newborn baby who was in a private rental and the landlord uh, decided to sell it, so wanted to renovate the house and therefore had given notice to her, his name's Mariska Kruger, she's 31, and she had been unable to find another rental before it was time for her to move out, and had asked MSD for help. MSD said, there are simply no houses in the Hawke's Bay for you, um, there's nothing we can do, thank you very much. 
desperate on the day that she had to move out of the um, private rental with her six kids and a newborn baby. She went to the warehouse and spent her last $240 on two tents. This was in February uh, when we had those big storms coming through. She set the tents up in the park and uh, would have been there during the night when the storm went through. Luckily, a local Napier resident, Lisa Cunliffe, um, spotted the family and realised there was something wrong, offered them a bag of apples and then uh, heard the story, uh, realised there was a newborn baby lying wrapped in a blanket in the tent. And Lisa Cunliffe decided to take the family in and the family stayed with her for a night or two before um, she helped uh, uh, Lisa go through MSD and Housing First in the Hawke's Bay to get access to emergency housing. Firstly, in a holiday park in Hastings and then the Blue Water Hotel in Napier and has been staying there for the last 14 nights at a cost of $331 a night. Although, she will have to contribute $300 from her benefit to pay back to work and income in instalments. Then we have another couple of articles from Jodie O'Callaghan in Christchurch for stuff about a preschool called New Beginnings, which um, has about 50 kids. And things are so desperate for the kids and their families that New Beginnings uh, made a plea earlier this week for donations so that they could make food parcels for the family of these kids. About a third of the 50 children need food parcels. There's one of the family's mothers, Sarah Williams, quoted in the article. Uh, she has uh, four kids, uh, some of whom go to the New Beginnings preschool who says that increases in food prices and fuel prices and uh, uh, the cost of housing have meant that um, she li literally has not enough money to pay for food and that uh, unless she had a significant increase in the benefit uh, or a 30 to 40% fall in food prices, she literally cannot afford to buy food. In particular, last week she cited an example where she had to pay $28 to get two rapid antigen tests for her kids, who it turns out do have COVID. So she's having to pay for rats. She's quoted as saying, because she had no money left for food, I don't know what I'm going to do for dinner. It's just a snowball effect. Now also in that article, Steph Knight from New Beginnings is quoted as saying that uh, after the initial story on Tuesday from Jody. There was a flood of donations uh, of food and various things into the school. And uh, she herself has been making food parcels for her kids. 18 food parcels were made yesterday. And she is quoted as saying that it is a crisis, a cost of living crisis. She's quoted as saying, there's a lot of people who are just in total overwhelm mode and don't know where or how to deal with that. Now, the reason I, I point this out is that today um, the government announced an extra hundred and an extra, let me just check the number, an extra $250 million in subsidies for air freight so that over the next year um, the government can pay to reduce the cost of uh, air freighting things overseas. 
this adds the total amount of subsidies paid by the government to businesses to subsidise the air freight to $815 million since it started in July 2020, and it's going to continue on until March 2023, so the end of March next year. This obviously was um, useful to um, ensure that airlines kept flying here. When they weren't flying tourists, uh, they uh, could have stopped coming to New Zealand, which would have been a major problem for our exporters and our importers. And many of those planes, of course, carried uh, pharmaceuticals and various other medical devices and equipment and um, PPE gear for uh, the hospital system, um, so it was necessary. And also this week, um, the first of the fortnightly payments go out for the COVID recovery payments, uh, which are $4,000 for a small business and several hundred dollars per employee on top of that, um, up to a limit of, I think, $28,000 per business. That's cash that goes to those businesses who can prove that their revenues are down more than 40% because of going into the red zone under COVID. That's $115 million in two weeks in cash that's going to businesses. On top of the $20 billion in cash that was organised and given to businesses to ensure that they could keep employing people through COVID. Um, although, interestingly, um, they reported profits that were $18 billion higher last uh, last year. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, in December 2020, the government behind the scenes considered increasing the benefit by $50 cash just before Christmas 2020 and was advised by Treasury that the government needed to reduce its spending and try to repay its debt. So the government chose not to increase that benefit by $50 a week, despite the calls of all of the experts on the government's own Welfare Experts Advisory Group to significantly increase cash payments to people on benefits and people on working for families, working poor, and those who need extra cash. And that was back in 2020, before we saw the inflation take off. So now we have significant increases in fuel, food, and rent, and the government is refusing to increase the size of its uh, benefits beyond what it's signalled uh, for April the 1st and is not doing anything special with the winter energy payment. Um, in my view, the government needs to show the sort of urgency in helping those on the lowest income that uh, it has shown in helping businesses uh, cope with COVID in terms of aggressively sending large chunks of cash to those people who need it to pay for food and fuel and accommodation. And uh, uh, this can be done uh, or should be done in a broad way and in an immediate way in the way it was done to help businesses. To say that it's not technically possible or not financially possible to help these people in need going into what looks like will be the most stressful, most with the most homelessness, the most food poverty in our history, uh, is inexcusable. Now, it's interesting that the opposition has focused on this. Unfortunately, uh, the cost of living crisis, as, it's, as it talks about, um, is being used as a um, 
a fair enough uh, argument to say the government needs to help, but unfortunately the proposed uh, changes in tax thresholds will see most of that cash go to those people who are on the highest incomes. So over $1,000 for someone on $78,000 a year, just over $100 for someone on uh, under $50,000 a year. So um, those people who I talked about and uh, who've been quoted there in, in extreme stress, the young mum having to pitch a tent in a storm with a newborn and six kids, or the families who can't afford food because they have to buy rats, and the kindergarten that is making food parcels because the food banks are already overwhelmed. That, you know, the government should work to um, help people through this winter. That is today's podcast, The Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is a daily podcast uh, brought to you thanks to the support of paid subscribers, which help me do this sort of um, uh, explanatory analytical journalism on these issues of housing and affordability, climate change in action, and child poverty. This um, episode of the podcast, I've decided to open up to the public, and I welcome um, your feedback and uh, sharing of this podcast and the, uh, the article that it goes with. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Ka kite anō.